1977 episode, part one, we have a change in the league starting at the top with the VFL acquiring a new president who is ready to bring the league into the 21st century. Melbourne are stuck in a legal wrangle with ex-captain Stan Elves. More baby bombers come through at Essendon. A Collingwood great joins the enemy. And which blue holds Hawks legend Peter Hudson goalless? All this and more coming up after us all. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian Rules Football History podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. Um, we have no real qualifications to bring you this show other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive the past, and lots and lots of books. My name is Tim. This is Charlie. Hello, hello. Uh, and welcome to the 1977 episode, part one. Part, part uno. Yeah. Part uno. Delightful. And 1977 is a huge year in the league. Yeah. Plenty um, going on. We know it definitely from... Obviously, the grand final is one of the famous grand finals yes. through time. But yeah, just the changing of the league as well. So in, in a minute, we'll, we'll talk about the change that happened at the top with um, obviously Alan Aylett taking over as president, which is a big change for the league. Huge. Um, and this ushered in a real new era. Um, but before we do that, Charlie, should we go get into a bit of history? Yes, absolutely we should. 1977, not just a big year in footy, but a big year in the world. It is. Um, song of the year I've chosen, uh, some Australian, Australian flavour, Peter Allen, I Go to Rio. Number one for five weeks. Um, also a special mention to Help Is On The Way, If You Leave Me Now and Don't Cry For Me Argentina. Oh, wow, there you go. All right, well, starting at the beginning here, in, on the 20th of January, Jimmy Carter was sworn in as the 39th President of the United States. Uh, and just after that, on the 7th of February, 418 refugees from Vietnam War arrived in Melbourne. Uh, from these refugees from Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos left refugee camps around Bangkok for the largest airlift of war victims from Thailand. So that was like a, a big group of, of uh, people coming into Melbourne and yeah. making Melbourne what it is now. Yeah, so great. On the 2nd of April, in a horse racing news, we had Red Rum winning a record third Grand National at Aintree Racecourse in the UK. Uh, also just after that, we had the Montreal Canadiens sweeping the Boston Bruins in four games to win their second straight Stanley Cup in the NHL. On the 21st of May, uh, a referendum was held in Australia. Uh, casual vacancies in the Senate, uh, on a referendum about referendum and retirement of judge, judges are passed, and also a plebiscite was held to decide Australia's national anthem, and was won by, surprise, surprise, Advanced Australia Film. Uh, on the 25th of May, this is huge, a movie opened in cinemas and became the highest grossing film for the next five years. What was it? Star Wars. First Star Wars came out. Number one for how long? For five years. No, it was the number one movie for five years straight. Highest grossing oh, movie. Highest grossing, sorry. Over the yeah, next yeah. five years, yeah. On the 5th of June, we had the Portland Trail Blazers defeating the 76ers 109 107 to win the NBA Finals four games to two. Bill Walton was selected as MVP of the series. Uh, on the 25th of June, we had the Rugby League World Cup starting or culminating in Australia's 13-12 victory over Great Britain at the SCG. Yes, hopefully we can do that again in the next game against Great Britain coming up soon. Um, on the 1st of July, we had Wimbledon finishing, Virginia Wade women winning the women's singles title in the centenary year of the tournament. It was her first and only Wimbledon title and her third Grand Slam title overall. And she to, remains to this day the last British woman to win the singles title. Uh, on the 16th of August, Timmy, we had bad news coming from Memphis. Elvis passed away, aged just 42. In Memphis or in Vegas? Memphis, okay. I think it was. Okay. That he actually passed away. Yeah, if you've seen the Elvis movie, it's quite a, quite a sad ending to Elvis. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll confirm his actual you know, that. 
On the 26th of October, we had the last natural case of smallpox discovered in Somalia. That they, the WHO and the CDC consider this date the anniversary of the eradication of smallpox. Wow. Huge. Yeah. Great news. Um, you're right. It was in Memphis. In Memphis. Yeah, in Graceland. Uh, on the 10th of December, we had a federal election in Australia. Malcolm Fraser uh, was re-elected with a slightly lower majority, defeating uh, former Prime Minister Gough Whitlam. He uh, then resigned as ALP leader after holding the job for nearly 11 years. And we also had Golden Black winning the Melbourne Cup. Would you like to hear about some people that were born please, in 1977? Please tell some me. Some Aussies that were born, <laughs> I should say. On the 8th of February, we had bustling, big bad bustling Barry Hall. 14th of Feb, Cadell Evans, nice. the Tour de France winner. The, on the same day, Jim Jeffries, the comedian. Uh, 24th of Feb, Jason Ackermanis. Yep. Uh, the 24th of March, Darren Lockyer, the rugby league superstar. The 31st of March, Garth Tander, the driver, racing driver. Okay, is he Australian? Yes. Yep. Uh, on the 6th of May, Chantel Newbury, the Olympic champion diver. Eleventh uh, of June, Jeff Ogilvie, the great Australian golfer. On the fifteenth of August, we had Anthony Rocker, and the twenty third, oh, sorry, twenty third of October, Brad Haddon, the cricketer, and on the thirtieth of December, Scotty Lucas. Nice. All right. Well, let's get stuck into the nineteen seventy seven season, please. Um, and before we work our way up that ladder, um, just hello to our listeners around the world in Poland, Germany, Brazil, Argentina. Israel, India, um, and the American states of Florida and Texas. Nice. Yeah. Keep on spreading those little tentacles around. Yeah, Getting the love of the game. Because <laughs> um, it's football season, and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we love. All right, so big league news. The biggest at the start was Alan Aylett um, becoming the president. Yes, you're right um, when you say that. It really is the start of the modern game, isn't well, it? Well, he, he brought them into the 21st century. Yeah. Um, so it, it was early in the year he was chosen. Um, he won the vote by one. So oh, really? the league vote was split six each, six, six. Um, and the uh, the former president, who was the outgoing president, had the deciding vote and he voted for Aylett. Wow. Yeah, so in Aylett's book, he talks about having to kind of go around and campaign to all the teams he knew were supporting him and see who he could get on his side. Yep. And he had this vision to bring the league forward. Like, he had all these modern ideas. With, like, broadcasting rights and things like things that. Things like that and, like, expansion to Sydney and, st- and stuff like that, which we'll talk about as we get into it. But he... It was kind of him, like, this new school way of thinking versus... I, the, I can't remember the Hawthorne. There was a guy from Hawthorne who was also... Mm. Maybe Phil Ryan, I'm not sure. Um, and he was kind of old school in the traditional form of what a president should be. Yes, just continuing to ha- yep. be a caretaker rather than a, yeah, an, absolutely. an uh, innovator, yes. I guess. And we know the way Alan Aylett acted at North Melbourne using yeah. the tenure rule and yeah. like forward thinking in that way. So he's very forward thinking and I think... In Bit the of end, a, a good thing for the league. Absolutely. A bit of a sliding doors moment. Imagine what it might be like. Well, if it was still around, the high possibility it would have gone bankrupt and yeah. folded at some stage. Yeah, amazing. Thank God for Alan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so other news from, uh, from the league. In late July, a group of about 150 cheer squad members protested outside the league headquarters, hoping to convince them to bring back floggers. <laughs> I don't know if they did in the end. Um, sponsorship was also on jumpers from this year, and we'll try to—I'll try to describe some of those as we get to them. Oh, oh, great! Melbourne also experienced the city of Melbourne's wettest June in 118 years. Grounds oh were gosh. awash and just resembled mud pits. I feel like we've had a few years that have been the worst in a certain amount of time, and it's just. They just keep getting worse and worse. Absolutely. Um, umpire Glenn James, a Yorta Yorta man, made his debut in 1977 as well. Nice. Uh, very beloved umpire. And finally, uh, this actually pertains to next season, but in on July 21st, the fixture for the 1978 season was released. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, now that they make a big deal about it in like November, it's like one of those... Let's keep AFL on the front cover of the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's the, the fixture in July, in, of, in, in yeah, November. Yeah. yeah. Well, and now I guess different then, right? But now you you need to know the results of the previous year to figure out. Well, yeah, because at this stage it's a perfectly fair fixture where everyone plays each other twice. Yeah. Yep. Mm. But yeah, there's all my league news. Great. 
Fantastic. Well, should we get into the season proper, Timmy? Let's. Well, let's start at the bottom of that ladder. The Wooden Spooners in 1977 in 12th place with three wins and uh, two draws on 17 losses. Two draws in a season, Timmy. It does happen every now and then. Uh, and 73.5% are those saints. Yes. Not so high up in heaven. Low down. <laughs> Unfortunately, captained by Carl Ditterich, back from the D's. And coached by Ross Smith. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan Jeans is back at the club as well as a recruiting officer. Hey, yeah. okay. Some debutants include Russell Tweeddale and Jeff Cunningham. Season started disastrously for the Saints with losses to the Bombers and the Cats by just over the five-goal mark, but the round three loss to Carlton was cause for concern. They were thumped by 107 points. The newspapers carrying the headlines, crisis for sad Saints. Oh, an emergency meeting was held with President Cubbon, saying that Coach Ross Smith and the selectors would have to liaise more effectively. But the Saints bounced back in round four with a six-goal win over the Lions. The hero of the day was Rex Hunt with eight goals, seven. They lost Ditterich for a week after this game. He was suspended. <laughs> um, he was suspended for a week for gesturing to the umpire. Oh, so it's wow. almost like dissent that we're talking about now. I'm sure that the gesture was a bit more mm. serious. Uh, this was their first win since July 1976 as well. So a bit of a, bit of a streak there. Um, around this time, Robbie Muir was reported in the reserves for attempting to trip an umpire. He was found not guilty. The Dogs played the Saints in round five and it was a titanic finish with Paul Callery sneaking through a last-minute point to snatch a draw from the jaws of defeat. Two weeks later in round seven, the Swans were more than five goals ahead of the Saints in the third quarter and should probably have won, but the game was a draw on a remarkably wet ground. The Saints were able to work their way back into the game and snatch this again, similar to the way they did against the Dogs in round five. Yep. In round ten, Ditterich was reported again for striking in a loss to the Kangaroos, this time given two weeks. <laughs> Glenn Elliott, a single player, did his knee against Essendon in round 12 and never played again, which was a sad day. Mid-year, we talked about the rain. It was so bad the Saints couldn't train at Moorabbin, so they shifted instead to Cheltenham Park. Really? Yeah. Round 13, they travelled to Cardinia and were able to kick away from the Cats in the second half of the game to win by 10 points. They then made it back-to-back wins a week later with a four-goal win over the Lions at Waverley Park. George Young kicking 6-2, who was one of the Saints' leading lights in what was their last win of the year. Um, other highlights, though, in round 16, which was a loss to the Dogs, Cowboy Neal became the first Saint to play 250 games. In round 18, you'll never guess it, Carl Ditterich was at it again, reported <laughs> this time for elbowing South defender Francis Jackson in the face. Now, this is interesting. He was given three weeks by the tribunal, but they actually they, um, they felt that his, poor, his form was so poor that they thought, well, he'll probably retire at the end of this year. Let's give him three weeks so he can play in the fourth week, which is the last round because that'll probably be his farewell game. Oh, really? So they were going to give him more. But yeah, but they felt sorry for him because oh, he deserves a farewell game. I thought game. you were going to say his record was so bad that they gave him more time. No, no. But like, it wasn't really... No, they felt sorry for him and his form was really poor. So like the speculation was he's going to retire. He played round 22 and then another three seasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as we said, St Kilda won its 19th wooden spoon. It's first since 1955, so it's going to a big... Gap. Yeah. Um, How? Sorry, it's what? It's what number? Nineteenth. Oh. Yeah. Sting. Yeah. Yeah. This is the twenty-two year gap is the longest between spoons for the club. And then late in September, the Saints sacked Ross Smith as coach. Yeah. No surprise there. No, absolutely not. Yeah, not not a great year for the Saints. Not much going on there. So, uh, lead goal kicker for the Saints this year was George Young with 58. Not actually, not a bad return. No. Um, Re- Rexy was just below that with 52, but then a big drop-off to the next guys, Barry Breen and stuff, kicking sort of high teens. Yeah. Uh, and then the Trevor Barker medal in 1977 went to uh, Jeff Saru? Saru. 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 So someone reached out to me and said we were pronouncing that wrong. It's Jeff Saru. Jeff Saru. I, yeah, okay, great. For his second time. Yeah. So, well done. But quite a... um. Cool. Oh, no, sorry. He, yeah. Just uh, missed the... He's 75 and 70, 71 in. So, yeah. yeah nice. Not bad at all. Uh, so, moving up that ladder to 11th place, just scraping out on not getting the uh, the wooden spoon, was the <laughs> Demons. Yes. Uh, Melbourne with five wins, uh, 17 losses, and a percentage of 85. So, captained by uh, Greggy Wells and coached by Bob Skilton. Yeah, we'll 
talk about that in a bit of news. The D's also adopted their official logo, that demon with the pitchfork. And oh, the my favourite. Yeah. So they adopted that in 77, which they used to the end of 88. I love that one. Yeah. I've got that on a big flag at home. I really like it too. Yeah. Um, some debutantes include Tom Flower, brother of Robbie. Oh. Add him to the, the collection of uh, useless brothers. Yeah. <laughs> um, Barry Norsworthy, Mark Elves, which is an interesting one because his brother Stan Elves, um, who He's played with... Was in a bit of feud with the club. Absolutely, as, as you just mentioned, there's a bit of legal dispute going on. Um, season started badly for the club because they were forced off the MCG before the season until the conclusion of the centenary cricket match on March 17th, so they yeah. had to train instead at Waverley. Now, pre-season, the club attempted to trade Stan Elves to Carlton in exchange for Robert Walls, but Elves did not agree to this. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Would have been a good pickup, Robbie Walls, for you as well. Yeah, but Stan Elves is... Lost too. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, now, around round five or six, there were rumours also circulating that the D's were secretly talking to Kevin Sheedy about ke- having him come across to coach or captain coach the D's. Hey. Yes, but they were winless coming up to round eight, which was a game against the Lions. And despite being wasteful in front of goals again, the Demons were on their way to victory at the last change, but the Roys fought back to 12 points behind midway through the last quarter before the Demons turned on the afterburners and ran away to a comfortable 48 point victory. Best were Colin Graham, who played his last game for the Demons. Sorry, played his best game for the Demons with 21 kicks and five goals for. Wells and Grambo were also good. A week later, in heavy wins, the Saints put on nine goals three in the third quarter and were as many as 47 points up uh, in the final term before the Ds charged home. A Greg Wells goal cut the margin to under a goal before a, before a behind drew the Demons to a point behind. When Colin Graham lined up 60 metres from goal with the wind and little time left on the clock, it looked like the Saints were about to be involved in a third draw. But Graham's kick in a howling wind that not only came from behind him but also cut across the ground on an angle floated through and Melbourne were home. 47 points behind. And they won. Uh, Round 14, taking on the Bombers at the MCG, Essendon played well in the second quarter, but they were beaten across the other three, with Essendon kicking just two goals in the entire second half. The Demons could have won by more, but allowing for the slushy conditions, they were wasteful with their kicking for goal. Henry Coles with three. Following Round 15's loss to the Roos, Bob Skilton made his decision to resign, revealing it to his players and criticising a lack of dedication and effort for the side's drop in form. Oh, okay. The Demon backline in round 16 was keeping their Richmond opponents at bay, but at the other end, their forwards were having trouble scoring goals themselves. Ray Biffin was sent back into defence where he held Royce Hart to one kick by half-time, at which point the Tigers' champion was dragged and replaced. The move failed to spark the Tigers, who booted just one goal in the second half, while at the other end, their opponents stormed home to grab victory, the Ds winning by 19. In round 19, the Demon's year went from bad to look. From bad to worse when they fell apart against bottom of the ladder Fitzroy and were absolutely smashed. Bob Skilton was so furious with his troops that at halftime he made them go back onto the ground and run laps around the Little League players playing on the ground. Oh. Yeah. I I mean... He's leaving already. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If you hadn't mm. lost your players by now, you've lost them then. Yeah. Round 20 was a battle for the Wooden Spoon against St Kilda. The loser was probably going to win it. Win that... Claim, Take it. Claim yeah. the wooden spoon. Um, the Demons made 10 changes and actually an 11th when Shane Grambo was a withdrawal late in the day, just before the game with a case of the flu. But despite setting the all-time club record by having more than half a new team, the Demons were sublime. They oh. kicked 27 goals, 13, 175, which remains their sixth highest score in VFL AFL history. With like a brand new team, that's yeah, unbelievable. at the time it was their second highest score ever. A bit of fresh blood. Graham Osborne and Greg Wells kicked five each. Robbie Flower also prominent with 16 disposals and three goals. They won by 71. Um, they finished the season with close losses to St Kilda and Hawthorne. Um, but I want to ask you, Charlie, before we finish off about Melbourne, yep. does, does this tarnish Bob Skilton's legacy? The fact that he just walked away? Well, just driving Melbourne into the ground. I mean, they didn't, I mean he almost got them into the finals a few years ago. Um, I don't know if it does. It's a really interesting question because I don't think you think about Bobby Skilton... As a coach. As a coach. No. So I don't think it does tarnish his legacy because he's not... It's not part of his... His coaching ability isn't part of his legacy. He's a brilliant footballer, but... Yeah, yeah, it's a fair call because I, for one, didn't realise he'd been a coach. No, exactly. And, yeah, yeah. so... And it's not... And because it wasn't at South Melbourne either. And it's one of those things where I don't know whether it's overly surprising because I think some of these guys, I mean, obviously a supremely talented footballer. I think a lot of those guys who are supreme talents 
struggle to understand why people can't execute their game plan. Like Bob Nash. It's like, just do what oh, I would do. Nash. Nash, sorry. Just yeah. do what I would do. Yeah, gee, just kick a banana like this yeah, for the boundary. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not, it's not surprising that, yeah. he, that he didn't end up being an excellent coach. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, good question. Mm. But my answer is no, I don't think it okay. does tarnish his, his reputation. Good. Yeah. So, lead goal kicker at the D's in 77 was Ross Brewer with a pretty meagre 26. Uh, and the Keith Bluey Truscott, uh, best and fairest, went to Robbie Flower with Shane Grambo uh, coming second. Uh, so moving up that ladder into 10th place were Fitzroy, the Mighty Roys, uh, with six wins and 16 losses and a percentage of 83.8. Captained by John Murphy and coached by Kevin Rose. Yes. Um, some debutants include Caleb uh, Van, Lorenzo Serafini, Wayne Duke, and an absolute champion, Fitzroy, Mick Conlon. Tell us a little bit about Yes, so Mickey Conlon, uh, born in Tasmania, he played with the Manuka Manuka football club. Manuka? Manuka? In Canberra? Yes, in the ACT before being recruited to Fitzroy. He played mostly at half forward or in a forward pocket, wearing the number 12. Uh, he was noted for his explosive plower and kicked numerous goals of the week, typically on bursting run down the flank. He put an emphasis on strength training and muscular physique. His nicknames were the Sherman Tank or Crash. Nice. Sherman Tank is a great nickname. Right, I like I've got, that a lot. I've got this little anecdote from uh, Russell Holmesby's book about the end of Fitzroy. Um, so future president Leon Weigard says, I got there in 77 and we owed a large amount of money. I was told there was a woman who was a desperate Fitzroy barracker and her husband was a Melbourne supporter. Every time Fitzroy lost, you would go home and give him a hard time. He came to the club and said, I have got plenty of money. What do you need to put this act together? I think the figure was about $200,000. He said, I'll give you 200000 and that would be worth my peace of mind. Then off he went overseas on business and never came back. And did he give them the money? Apparently, yeah. Because his wife was a Fitzroy supporter and he was sick of her whinging about Fitzroy How? losing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's un- unbelievable. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard this story a few times, so... I'm not sure how the, true it is, but... The financial side of Fitzroy is fascinating. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, as we get closer into the 90s and stuff with those weird loans and deals. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking... Yeah. Unbelievable. It's interesting. Bit of a spoiler there for you. Yes. Uh, round one, the Lions opened the season with a strong 14-point win over Richmond. Bob Beecroft with six goals, one Gary Wilson, 4-4. Four, four. The Lions fans were so pumped up, they played the theme song three times. <laughs> nice. What followed, I guess, was what we've come to know from Fitzroy, which was a poor first half of the season in which they lost 11 straight games and then kind of made good at the end. Their next win being round 13 at Junction Oval against Carlton, hanging on to win a close game by seven points. In round 15, the winner for the Lions at Junction Oval against the Dogs was Jeff Austin, who kept his boots relatively clean. He had five marks, five shots on goal for four goals won. Pretty handy in a three-goal win over the Dogs. Yeah. In round 19, the Roys on the bottom took on fellow cellar dweller Melbourne at Junction Oval with 10 goals to four in the first half. The Roys slammed on another 10 in the third quarter. Um, and in front of a handful of disbelieving diehards, the margin was 88 points at the last change before Fitzroy slackened off and allowed the Demons to boot a belated seven goals and keep the margin under the dreaded century. Fitzroy's score of 23 goals, 8, 146 was their highest ever score against the Demons, breaking a record that went back to 1919. Wow. Uh, Around 20, Fitzroy played its 1500th match, uh, which was a loss to North Melbourne. Around 21, the Lions played played out of their skins with a 64-point win over the Bombers. Although they only led by two goals at three-quarter time, they kicked 8-4 in the last quarter while holding the Don scoreless. Fowler with five, Beecroft with four. In the final round, Geelong and Fitzroy played a game of tortoise in the hare. So this is is taken from the ages report. to end the season the Cats getting out to a good lead and then falling asleep allowing the Lions to catch up <laughs> and it wasn't until the last quarter that the Tortoise Fitzroy fully took advantage kicking 7 goals 11 in the last quarter uh, to the Hare the Cats 1 goal 2 to end up with a 41 point win Postseason, Kevin Rose announced that he would not seek a reappointment yeah, and that was, that was Fitzroy. Yes. Uh, so the lead goal kicker at the Royals this year was Bob Beecroft with 59. So not, actually not bad. No, like again, these, like the Saints. Yeah. And the Mitchell medal in 77 went to John Murphy for the fifth time. Massive. Uh, so climbing up that ladder into ninth spot, 
The same old cynic. Both are. Not doing so well in 70s. No. Unfortunately. 70s aren't good news for both. <laughs> no, no, just generally. Um, so, with seven wins and 14 losses and a pretty meager percentage again, 82.8, which is, I'll tell you what, those, are, those teams at the top are going to be high percentages based on the stuff we've seen so far. Captain, coached by Bill Stephen. And captained by Ken Fletcher. Yeah, um, and the the Baby Bombers are kind of coming together. We've got to remember, they're missing now Alan Noonan, Jeff Blethen, Gary Parks, who was standing out because of a pay dispute, and the reigning Brownlow medalist, Graham Moss, went back to WA. Yeah, so yeah, they've got a big hole. But here's some players coming in for you. Merv Nagel, Shane Hurd, Philip Early, and two I want you to have a quick chat about. Oh, yes. Paul Vanderhaar and Tim Watson. Huge. Yes, uh, so let's start with Paul van der Haar. So, born of Dutch migrants, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, van der Haar was recruited to Essendon from Ringwood. Uh, due to his strong and spectacular overhead marking ability and his ancestry, van der Haar earned the nickname The Flying, the Flying Dutchman. Dutchman, of course. Uh, he usually played as a centre-half forward, but was also used in defence occasionally. And then, Timmy Watson, I mean, what can we say? Indisputably one of... Essendon's greatest sons, the Dimboola-born Tim Watson, made his senior late league debut in 18, eh, It could have been 1977, <laughs> aged just 15 years and 305 days. Last 15-year-old to play the game. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. To, play, to play VFL AFL football. Yeah. yeah. Making him the fourth youngest player debutant in history. Yeah. Uh, he boasted tremendous pace and, bal- and balance, allied to finely tuned aggression and vigour, and his ball handling skills were second to none. Mm. Um, also from round five, Essendon had a Don Smallgoods logo on their jumper. Oh, yeah, you can, we can see it in the photos, yeah. yeah. Just on the top of the sash. Yes. Um, so I'll keep mentioning these. Some teams had them, some teams yeah. didn't, so we'll, we'll go through that. Season started well with a 32-point win over the Saints at Windy Hill. Neville Fields the best on ground with 30 disposals and four goals too. Round four, they beat a disappointing Melbourne side at Windy Hill, holding on in an exciting last quarter where both sides kicked a combined 11 goals. The Dons holding on by four. Simon Madden was amazing with 16 disposals, 29 hitouts and four goals. In round seven, Tim Watson made his debut, a last-minute replacement for the injured Ian Marsh. As a result, as you said, he became the youngest bomber ever, debuting at the age of 15 years, 305 days. This game was a memorable draw with the Tigers in which the Bombers stuck with the Tigers all game and held the lead late. But point by point, the Tigers inched back and the final result was a draw. Ken Roberts with four and Andrew Wilson was also prominent. I just, I'm so, can you imagine stepping onto a field as, as a 15-year-old playing against like 30-year-old 30, 30 brute? Like it's no. meant, it's crazy. No. <laughs> um, round nine was an impressive win over the Blues. Essendon, feeling one of its most inexperienced sides for many years, showed the way to Carlton. The enthusiastic Bombers with star players in Russell Muir, Colin Boyd and Brian Walsh recorded only their third victory over Carlton in the last 18 matches and their first win at home against the Blues since 1968. Around this time, the label Baby Bombers was actually used for the first time as well due to all the, the young players showing so much promise. In round 10, they had a good strong win over Fitzroy, building on their lead each quarter and winning by 54. Ken Roberts with four, Max Crow with five. Van der Haar had a great game with 18 disposals and four goals too. In a terrible round 12 game against the Saints at Waverley, both sides scored five goals for the day. The Bombers kicking four points more to win the game. Ken Fletcher, send, uh, <laughs> Ken Fletcher sending a fair-sized bow wave down the ground with one of his belly skids. He had 29 kicks for the match. Bow wave, bow wave? Bow wave. Bow wave. Bow wave. Yeah. Um, another low-scoring game, Windy Hill the following week saw them beat South by two goals. In round 16, Essendon comprehensively beat the Kangaroos at Windy Hill by 49 points. This had Barassi saying it was their worst display in three years, but yeah. also had the papers comparing Essendon's young, talented side to the young demons of the early 50s. Hey. Boats well. Yeah. By the end of the year, the Bombers had appointed Barry Davis as their new coach, and while Bill Stevens was disappointed to lose his position, he said, I believe I brought together the most promising bunch of kids I've seen. I don't believe anyone could have done a better job with the material I had this year. I think that seems like a pretty fair call. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're building. They're slowly building. So he's built the foundations for someone else to reap the rewards of. Yes, yeah. and as we know, Barry Davis will not be reaping those rewards either. <laughs> no. No. Uh, so the Dons uh, this year lead goal kicker was Max Crow with 38 and the Crichton medal in 1977 went to Simon Madden for the first time cool yeah there we go so uh, in 8th spot we have Geelong 
with eight wins, 14 losses, and 82.7%. Captain by Bruce coached by Rod Olson. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right, some debutants include Ray Card, John Rimacombe, Jeff Ferring, Gerald, Fitzger- Gerald Fitzgerald, uh, and Gary Malarkey. Gary Malarkey. So, uh, born in Armidale, WA, and joined East Perth at the age of 18. Though not tall for a key defender, he's only 185 centimetres. Um, like he was extremely strong and he showed an early propensity for close checking uh, defence, revelling in tough man-on-man duels. He had excellent anticipation and good pace over the first 20 metres, as well as being a strong mark and a superb kick, Timmy. Uh, he was signed on by Geelong in about 1973, but East Perth imposed a minimum service requirement of 100 games before a clearance could be granted. So he stayed for a further th- three years before finally crossing to the Cats in 77. Nice. I like that little minimum service requirement rule. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? I don't know how you put that in a contract, but <laughs> don't now, mind that. You'll be surprised to know who Geelong's sponsor is. From round 15, it was Ford. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, the Cats opened their account with a good win over the Saints at Moorabbin in the in round two. Rod Olsen pleased with the endeavour at Larry Donoghue kicking five. In round four, one of the highlights of, highlights of their win over the Swans on Anzac Day was the boomerang goal kicked by David Manson. In round six, Paul Sarah was the star with 28 kicks and seven goals won for the Cats in a demolition of the Demons. In round eight, the Cats had a big first half against the Bombers at Cardinia, leading by 46 points at halftime, but then they just cruised and allowed the Bombers to sneak back into the game. The Cats hung on to win by seven, thanks to the experienced heads of Ruckman Sam Newman and robust defender Mark Brown, whose dashing runs often put his side in an attacking position. In round 11, the Cats came out hot against the Lions with 7-5 to 1-5 and what was a pretty much sum- a pretty good summary of the game. The Cats won by 51, Donahue with seven, went on his merry way. In round 13, John Scarlett played his last of 183 games for the Cats um, in a loss to the Saints. He was then leased to Sydney, or to South Melbourne, um, and played for South Melbourne for the rest of the season, which was, it seems odd to me. We'll talk a bit more about that later on. In round 16, Geelong beat Collingwood despite having 15 scoring, fewer scoring shots. This equaled Richmond's record against Fitzroy from 57. It was 16 goals, 6, 102, to Collingwood, 12 goals, 25, 97. Oh. In round 17, the Cats travelled to the MCG to take on the Demons. They gave Melbourne a three-goal start in a high-scoring, entertaining first quarter before booting seven goals to two in the second to take control. The third quarter saw Geelong extending their lead to as much as 31 points, but Melbourne drew back to two goals behind at the last change. Once again, the Ds were wasteful with two goals six to the Cats 5-2, and the Cats went on to win comfortably. Hovey and Woolner with four each. In round 19, the Cats gave the Bombers their third loss in a row. Paul Serra was magnificent on the wing, especially in the first quarter with 10 kicks and two goals. Larry Donoghue kicked five goals. And that kind of sums up the Cats season. Yeah. Three losses to end it. Yeah, a bit of a shame just to peter out like that. Yes. But uh, so the lead kicker, a goal kicker down at Geelong this year was uh, Larry Donoghue with 63. Not surprising. And the Kaji Greaves Award in 77 went to Ian Nankervis for the third time. Uh, second in a row. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, so getting a bit stronger now. I feel like those the bottom five are pretty weak this year. Yeah. Um, but moving up to... And you look at it, sorry, just to stop you there, like yeah. all their percentages, is no, nothing's above 85. 80, 85, yeah. Right, yeah well, so. Melbourne's, of those bottom five, Melbourne's got the highest percentage, don't yeah, they? Yeah, on the second bottom of the ladder. It's yeah. really weird, isn't yeah. it? And we haven't even come to another another team with a draw yet, yeah. apart from St Kilda, which yeah. is very odd. Uh, so now, moving into seventh spot, we have those Bulldogs, Footscray, uh, with 10 wins and 11 losses um, and a percentage of 101.4. So that's a big jump, right? If we're getting there. Uh, so captained by Gary Dempsey and coached by Bill Goggin. Yep, one of the debutants was, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Jack Di Natale. It might be Jack Di Natale. Di Natale. I reckon it, that makes sense. Yeah. In round three, the Dogs beat the Lions because Fitzroy fiddled with the ball, making mistakes inevitable and allowing the Dogs' defence to get organised. It was a really a game for the Lions that they lost rather than which the Dogs won, which they did by 28. <laughs> Playing the Saints in round five, at quarter time, the Dogs had nearly doubled the Saints' score. They kicked three apiece in the th- second before the Saints exploded in the third quarter to trail by just two points. 
The last quarter was goal for goal, and it looked like a draw until the Dogs' Jeff Jenkins put the Dogs ahead by a point. But the Saints' poor calorie scored a late point to salvage a draw for the Saints. In round six, Essendon kept the Dogs at bay early in their round six match, but in the second quarter, Dempsey asserted himself and took control in the ruck. The Dogs kicked seven in the second and then another six in the third to take absolute control of the match and run out 100-point winners. Kelvin Templeton kicked five. This was their biggest ever win against the Dons and would be until 2019. Oh, wow. Also, I believe it's the Bombers' biggest ever home loss at Windy Hill. Still to this day. I believe so. 100 points is a big loss. That hurts. Uh, Hard to walk away from that. Yeah. Yeah. In a close round 10 game against the Cats, the Dogs scrapped all day, and by three-quarter time, there was barely anything in it. The Cats led by five, but the Dogs turned it on in the last with 10 goals to three to win by 37. Kelvin Templeton, the star here, with nine goals. Ian Dunstan and Alan Stoneham with 34 disposals each. In round 13, taking on the Ds at the MCG, the Ds stayed with them in the first quarter, but they squandered their chances, and when Footscray had their chance in the third, they made no mistake. The second half was a training drill for the visitors who handballed and long kicked their way to an easy victory, keeping the Demons scoreless and cantering away to a 51-point victory. Mm. They then beat the Saints at Moorabbin. So in round 17, the Dogs' win over the Bombers was a comedy of errors highlighted by umpire Polites, almost allowing Bernie Quinlan a goal that he kicked after the halftime siren. So the Bombers players kind of had their head low because they thought, oh, he's paid this bloody free kick, but he, uh, he overturned the, the goal. And so it wasn't counted, which was lucky. Um, and it seemed this would be a bit of a talking point that this goal was it, was it before or after the siren. Yeah, yeah. It didn't matter in the end because Quinlan kicked a late sealer for the Dogs to see them win by 17 points. Cool, cool. Yep, all right. Footscray started the better side against the Tigers at Witten Oval, leading by 50 points at halftime. Gary Dempsey in the ruck and Ray Huppets were the leaders. The Tigers kicked seven goals in the third to reduce the margin to five points, but to their credit, the Dogs steadied and won by 28. In round 21, the Cats and Dogs played a lacklustre game with the Dogs triumphing by, seven, triumph, triumphing by 17 points in a clash described as a dismal bore. Oh, that's never how you want a game, yeah. No, and in round 22, Carlton were playing to make finals Footscray pride. However, the Dogs held Carlton to a solitary behind in the first quarter. But the, the Blues did come back. They got within one point of the Dogs by halftime. And in the second half, the Dogs showed finals form and much more desire than the Blues to go on. And they recorded a strong 18-point win to end the season. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, interesting one. So, they was just pushing for finals even right at the end there. Not the, the dogs, kind of, but, but certainly Carlton were. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, mm, mm. We'll we talk got, about them in well, a minute. we've got the dogs three games behind. So yeah. The dogs, losing those last two games didn't help. No, They were definitely still in contention not. in the last five weeks, but yeah. Yeah. So, Footscray lead goal kicker this year was Kevin uh, Kelvin Templeton with 40 and the Charles Sutton medal in 1977 went to Gary Dempsey for the sixth time, fifth time in a row. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. So two before is Brownlow. Brownlow, two after. <laughs> Sam, nice little sandwich for him. Did he win it his Brownlow year? He won it in his Brownlow okay, year yeah, too. It's the middle it. one. Yeah, can you imagine yeah. me? Yeah. Massive. Uh, so creeping up to six spots, so our final non-finalist... <laughs> was Carlton, unfortunately, of the Blue... Well, depends on how you look at it. Uh, of the Blues, so 13 wins uh, and nine losses and a percentage of 111.9. Coached by Ian, Ian Thorogood and captained by Robert Walls. Yes. Almost of D, almost of the Ds, as you mentioned before. Yep, so some debutants we've got here. Uh, Tony Southcombe, John Smokey Trezise, Peter Bedford, who crossed from South. Um, and we've got two others here... Ken Sheldon and Wayne Harms. Yes. Let's talk about these two, shall we? So I'm going to start with Ken uh, Ken Sheldon. And it's funny these two debuted together knowing like what these two do in the 79 grand final. Yes. Like it's these two players who win that game. Yeah. Effectively. So Bomber Sheldon hailed from Midiamo in north central Victoria and honed his skills in the Loddon Valley Football League. Coached by his father, Jim, and he won the Midiamo Juniors Best and Fairest Award in 1973 and 74 and then played senior football alongside his dad before his 15th birthday. In 76, he was invited to Princess Park where he bypassed the under-19s to play a few reserves games. Uh, Playing mainly as a rover, he was part of the successful Mosquito Fleet in the late 70s and early 80s. And then Harmsy. Wayne Harms, as a youngster, had often carried his grandfather, Len Smith's famous Gladstone bag into training and match days at Fitzroy and Richmond, where his burning desire to play league football was stoked. So, grandfather Len Smith, 
great uncle, Norm Smith. Yeah. Good lineage there. Absolutely. Uh, in 1975, he was aged just 15 when he was invited to join Carlton's under-19 squad from his junior club, Oak Park, after originally playing for Batman. His potential became clear in 76 when he was voted under-19's best and fairest. He was promoted to the reserve side in 1977 and was soon knocking on the door for games with the seniors, of course. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about that soon. Um, there's one more debutant, or one more new player Carlton have as well, and this is quite a controversial one. It is one of the game's all-time great full forwards, Peter McKenna, crossing to Carlton. Oh, yeah. Mm, traded by Collingwood to Carlton at the age of 30 in 1977. That not that interesting? Well, he didn't actually play for Collingwood last year. He played in Tasmania, I believe. That's right. And then this year he's, he's come back, but Collingwood obviously didn't want him, so he's gone to Carlton. And I should also say Mike Fitzpatrick, is study, he's taken the year off. He's studying at Oxford. Oh. Yeah, taking a year off to study. As you do. Yeah. Um, the sponsor for Carlton from round four was Avco. Insurance, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure. Uh, now, round one. After a disappointing first quarter against the Cats, Carlton took control of the match at Cardinia Park and inflicted the biggest hiding ever seen in 153 games played against the Cats on any ground. They won by 78 points, bettering their 1933 record of 73 points. Rover, Rod Ashman and Ruckman, Peter Jones were the main weapons in that game. Round two against Fitzroy, former Collingwood forward Peter McKenna came onto the ground in his first appearance in the navy blue jersey. He came on late in the last quarter. However, the Blues had already sewn up the match against the, Fitz, the Lions and he had little impact as the Blues won by 32 points. Round three, Carlton thrashed St Kilda by 107 points. Greg Towns was an inspiration and was in dynamic form. And with Alex Jezelenko contributing in a major fashion to the Blues' huge win, new full forward Peter McKenna performed well, scoring eight, five goals, eight, the final score of 24 goals, 26. 170 was their highest ever against the Saints. They're kicking some big scores at the moment, the Blues. Yeah. Round four, South Melbourne arrived at Princess Park for this game to find a series of dark green lines painted on the oval at the 30, 40 and 50 metre mark from goals. A distance aid that Carlton support, Carlton's forwards used well to score 21 goals, 8, 134 to the Swans, 16, 11, 107. Uh, Carlton's key forwards, Mark McClure and Peter McKenna, provided reliable targets and booted 11 goals between them to set up the win. Now, in its wisdom, the league banned the idea of having these marks on the ground, but eventually common sense prevailed, and early in the 80s, they'd paint on the 50-metre arc. Yes. Um, on all grounds as well. Round five was a sorry day for the Blues against the Pies, and we'll talk more about that next week. However, in this game, Robert Walls became the youngest Carlton player to play 200 games. Oh, wow. Uh, a 20-point win over the Ds followed. In round eight, Carlton shocked North Melbourne with their early desire, better field kicking and better use of the wind for the first three quarters. But North fought back strongly with a f far more accuracy than the Blues to only go down by three points. Uh, in this game, Robert Walls was reported for striking Stephen Ick of North Melbourne in the face with a clenched fist and he received a two-week suspension. He just got, he had to get to his 200 as quick as possible and now he doesn't care. Yeah. He's yeah. happy to get suspended. That's it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> a loss to the Bombers, <laughs> then the Tigers was followed with a big win over the Dogs at Waverley. Then in shocking conditions in round 12 at Princess Park, Carlton and Geelong played the first match since the 1927 grand final where both teams scored three or fewer goals. Oh, wow. Carlton won by seven points. Three goals, 13-31 to Geelong's two goals, 12-24. Three, and two, 12. Oh, my God. Both team scores were lower than any score from any other match during 1977. <laughs> Another fun fact, all goals were scored at the same end. Oh, wow. Oh, what an ugly day. Mm -hmm. Their round 13 loss to the Lions was in similar terrible conditions. Round 14, Carlton rose to the occasion against the reigning Premiers. Although Hawthorne thought, fought hard to make up the leeway of 4-5, they trailed by at three-quarter time. The Blues won by 14 points. This match was one of only three matches where, Paul Hud where Peter Hudson was kept goalless by none other than the human blanket, Rod Austin. <laughs> in round 15, Carlton had to battle hard in a dour struggle with the Saints at Moorabbin. St Kilda showed their supporters they had plenty of heart when they kicked 6-4 in the last quarter to come within four points of Carlton in a thrilling finish. Carlton did get the win there, though. Then a nine-point win over South Melbourne in round 16 and then a loss to Collingwood followed. Round 18, the Blues shocked Melbourne with a seven-goal first quarter in the rain and sleet at Waverley and went on to an impressive 67-point victory. 17-year-old Ken Sheldon kicked six goals. This was the last VFL game of champion spearhead Peter McKenna. There you go. So he, he didn't quite... I think his body couldn't quite keep up with him. 
Uh, North got them in round 19, and while round 20's win over Essendon saw the breakout of Michael Young, the rookie wingman playing a great game for Carlton. He had 23 kicks and 8 marks in his best display in a short career for the Blues. Carlton needed to win their last match against Footscray to make finals, but could barely keep up with a disappointing Footscray who knocked them out of the finals contention. Yeah, those... um. Well, we'll mention it next next week, but the, those St Kilda draws and who they drew against really made a difference yeah. there for Carlton, unfortunately, for them. Uh, so the lead goal kicker uh, down at Carlton this year was Mark McClure with 39. Peter McKenna only just behind him with 36 in 11 matches. So did pretty bloody well. Yeah. But obviously just, yeah, the body. Body. Although um, he, does, he does go to the uh, VFA and he, he does keep playing. He does, yeah. Maybe it's just the training regimes and all that sort of yes. stuff. And the John Nichols medal in 1977 went to Bruce Dool for the second time. Uh, uh, so a bit disappointing for Carlton there. All right. Um, that's our top... Well, that's our bottom, six, bottom, bottom seven. Bottom seven, yes. Yep. Um, but we have a night series, don't we? Well, oh. yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, we talked last year about the, uh, the Wills Cup. Yes. The creation of the all the leagues around the uh, country coming together and yep. and playing some games and this was really so this is from the nfl the national football the national league. football league exactly yeah. and, and so this is really them sorry i'm not talking yeah. here this is them trying to start some kind of national competition this is an impetus for that national competition yes that we have now yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. trying to create yeah a more of a national game yeah. right and some rivalry between the leagues well i mean there's rivalry but between the clubs within the yes. leagues uh so the 76 cup wills cup was very successful so they went again and in this year it's called the ardath cup and it was going to be between again the vfl the sandfall the waffle uh plus state rep teams from tasmania queensland new south wales and the um and the act but because it had been so successful and it generated surprisingly strong TV ratings as well. Um, the VFL decided to uh, increase marketing possibilities and do their own thing. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. Mm. But because of that, the, uh, N- the NFL then uh, invited the VFA to join yep. uh, and had the Ardath Cup. I think I just, anyway. uh, do you know what Ardath is? No. Cigarettes. Ah, wild. <laughs> Fun times. So there was a bit of a bit of bad blood about the VFL deciding that they weren't going to be part of it. Yeah. Um, the 77 series was again based at Norwood um, with a handful of matches played in Perth at Leaderville, uh, at also at Claremont and Lathlane Park, and also at Lake Oval in Melbourne, yeah. um, which was home of the... South Melbourne and the former home of the VFL Night Series, as we know. It was a knockout competition, so five rounds. It was, so five rounds. So we had uh, the qualifying round, round two, quarterfinals, semifinals, and a grand final um, with, you know, Port Melbourne, East Fremantle, East Perth, lots and lots and lots of um, different clubs from all around the country. I won't go through it in too much detail. Less to say... The grand final was played between Norwood and East Perth, uh, and Norwood ran out the winners 10-9-69 to East Perth's 9-7-61. Funnily enough, Norwood winning at Norwood. Yes. Definitely helps, I would say. So let's go back to the VFL. Running almost concurrently with this as well. Yes. So the Amco Herald Cup Yes. in 1977. As we said, the night series... There was the night series already that we talked about that ran from 56 to 71, uh, ended because of dwindling crowds. People yes. weren't that interested. And it wasn't the whole, every team, it was just the bottom just teams. Just the bottom teams and the final five, dwindling crowds and the fact that there was a final five made it a, changing there in 71 made it a little bit difficult. But because of the Wills Cup in 76, they were like, well, let's give this another run. Let's have a go. Uh, so they went for it. So they had, had it playing... Uh, each Tuesday night at 7.30pm and broadcast nat- nationally on the Seven Network. Um, and it was, yeah, as you said, head-to-head with the... Uh, with the... Um, Cup. The Ardath Cup. So, in here we had... Uh, 
Collingwood playing Richmond in the first round. Collingwood playing Richmond at Lake Oval, um, where Richmond won quite convincingly. Carlton playing St Kilda at Lake Oval. Uh, Carlton winning quite convincingly. Fitzroy beating North Melbourne at, at Waverley. South Melbourne beating Footscray at Waverley. Hawthorne beating Geelong at Waverley and Melbourne beating Essendon at Waverley. Yeah, so the uh, VFL making good use of Waverley. Yes, and because of the cha- because of the weird changes and not having all the teams, what they did is the two teams that lost, the two losing teams with the highest percentage went through. Oh, nice. So the two closest ones there. So St Kilda, uh, so North St. Kilda and North Melbourne went yeah. through, which took us to the quarterfinals, all... All the rest of the games played at Waverley. Uh, St Kilda playing South and St Kilda won. So they, they, that low, high percentage definitely helped them get through. Uh, Hawthorne played North and won. Of course they did. Carlton beat Melbourne uh, Rich, and Richmond beat Fitzroy. Semis, we had Hawthorne beating St Kilda quite convincingly and Carlton beating Richmond in a very low-scoring, pretty miserable match. Uh, and all these games, should say, in, in front of reasonably low crowds, apart from the, the highest so far, Melbourne Essendon in front of 10,000. I need some hope. I need a bit of a... Yes. But the grand final wasn't too bad in front of 27,500 people at VFL Park. Uh, was Hawthorne Carlton. Uh, Carlton came out strong and were leading by a point at halftime. The, Hawthorne started whittling away that lead. Uh, but then Hawthorne came out very strong after the break and ran out winners by 24 points, 14-11-95 to 11-5-71. Played between round 18 and 19 of the season proper as well. There you go. So, yeah, that's the Amco Herald Cup. Yeah. And nice to see some night football coming back to me. Yes. I missed it. I missed yeah. it in those few years it was missing. I mean, I can imagine if we were around in this time, you'd be disappointed that they'd moved it to Waverley, being someone who lives oh. really close to Lakeside Oval. Yeah, I, well, I'd be furious. Yeah. I wouldn't be going to Waverley, that's for <laughs> no, sure. That's why crowds are so low. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so there we go. So the first half of 77, Timmy. Yeah, we've got a big second half coming up next week. Oh, yes. <laughs> this final series is a doozy. So, Timmy, 1977... We are, what, 80 years in to the VFL. Yeah. Yes. Huge. 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 It's a fun time. It is. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what happens with these finalists. And as we, we all know, 1907 was a doozy finals year. It was. Uh, so can't wait to talk to you about that next week. Sweet. So, guys, uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, you enjoy that and uh, we'll see you all next week. Hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.